0: Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis.
1: Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today we have a special guest with us, Chris Popowitch. Chris, welcome.
0: Hello Jerry, good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Chris
1: has lit many of our shows over the years. Uh, he is a professional lighting designer who runs a company with his wife, Cindy Lamoro in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Chris, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what you uh, and Cindy do at CNC
0: Lighting. Well, CNC Lighting uh, kind of came into existence when Uh, a club called the Duquesne Club which had this amazing artwork and again it was one of those private clubs and we were brought in to relight the artwork and we said oh this is kind of interesting it was a little different than uh, theatrical lighting and uh, but we brought in all of our skills to do the same thing make the paintings look good. Right. And that was the
1: first of many now, uh, what I guess we could call industrial projects? No, architectural
0: projects. Architectural, Group okay, projects.
1: good. You've lit buildings, uh, sidewalks, bridges.
0: Uh, uh, well, we are hoping to be an in on bridges in Pittsburgh, which has the most bridges in, if any, city in The country Mm -hmm. but we've lit two major buildings down in downtown Pittsburgh one the Gulf Tower and now the other one just finished off uh, the Coppers building which is right next to it.
1: And you did something for the Pittsburgh Steelers too didn't you?
0: Well what happened with that was it was in conjunction with the Coppers building Uh, the National Flag Foundation which uh, owns a couple of floors and they're now based in Pittsburgh wanted to create a red white and blue look for the Veterans Day and it Thursday night football with the Steelers. They had veterans, they had parachuters, and then at a certain time a veteran pressed a button and the building lit up in red, white, and blue with stars circling the top of the roof.
1: This was during a game that was televised uh, before the game. Before the game. Okay. Before the game. Very good. But but all of that is uh, tangential to your main love, which is theater lighting. Um, How did you get started in that uh, pursuit?
0: Well, I got started in my first year of high school at uh, Riverside High in Windsor, Ontario. I'm Canadian, if you haven't heard my accent uh, f- uh, filtering through. Um, <laughs> actually, I started off le- being an actor in my first year at high school.
1: I didn't know that.
0: Turns out I can actually read iambic pentameter as if it's natural to me. So Shakespeare proved no problem because my English teacher was shocked that asked me how I could do I was expecting to be blown up. But the next year, they didn't have a part for me and they said well your dad's an electrician so you know know something about lighting so i went to the library found richard Pilbrow's little black book on stage lighting uh-huh. read it i've never looked back and that was
1: in a high school library in ha-
0: yes high school library how
1: times have changed uh, <laughs> i suspect that book is not in any libraries in america now well they're probably the new school version
0: school. is there's at least there's a yeah. new bigger incarnation Okay,
1: good. Uh, and so uh, so you were an actor, and you had an affinity for acting. Did you ever think about circling back around and going?
0: No. There? No? No. Once I started and saw lighting, and I got so into it, um, that I was having, and again, uh, in high school, it was lighting uh, bands who come into the school, or, local, or, or any event kind of happened within this, the, the mm-hmm. auditorium, so yeah. I had more fun with it.
1: Right. And, uh, and you were out of the limelight, uh, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but uh, Chris, uh, uh, when did you come to the U.S.? So you, you, you grew up in Ontario. Uh, when did you migrate south?
0: Well, with that, that's kind of a very, um, very circular route to come down here mm-hmm. and come into the United States. Um, I was working um, technically, design-wise, pretty much across Canada. Uh, going, I worked at the Banff School of Fine Arts. Uh, I taught, I was adjunct at Concordia University in Montreal for a year, so I was kind of dabbling in teaching but still furthering my career in Canada as a designer. Well, like any career, you kind of go, oh, I need a change of pace. I need something different. I need a new location. Well, I found out I could work in the United Kingdom because of ancestry status. Mm -hmm. So I filled all the paperwork, got the stamp and the passport, went to London, no job in hand, no prospects, no nothing. And I said, wow, okay. I'd saved up some money and said, okay, this is gonna, I I have a time frame before I'd head back. Well, I discovered the stage. It's a trade paper in the UK. Sure. And in the back, it's got one ads. And the Central School of Speech and Drama was looking for a lighting technologist.
1: Right there at the Swiss Cottage stop. Yes, Swiss Cottage stop.
0: They're now called the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. But I knew all the lighting equipment because all the stuff that they had in England, we had pretty much in Canada. And the only difference was the voltage and math. Mm-hmm. So I said, so I went and pl- applied. I had my design CV and I had my technical CV. I was hired in twenty minutes, and I started the Monday next Monday.
1: So you taught at the Central School of Speech and Drama. Uh, you taught lighting. Students? Well, the first
0: first year, I was a lighting technologist. Uh-huh. Okay, so I was basically a master electrician. Okay. In their words, right. then the head of the design program. Uh, Called me into his office, and I jokingly thought I was in trouble because I had not been giving the usually when you got called yeah, into the yeah, office yeah, there was trouble. Yeah. Well, the the the, light, well, the lighting tutor who taught design, um, we kind of clashed a bit on our our how we thought lighting should be taught. Uh-huh. Well, they were starting a new program with a, a, a lady called Maggie Kinlock and the program was dealing with site-specific theater. So we had actors, directors, we had the whole cadre of. Of uh, dealing with a production mm-hmm. but everybody had to participate so you had directors who had to learn how to hang a light you had to have people learn design, directors knowing what lighting design was about and so my resumes I fit both things and I also had done a lot of site specific theatre mm-hmm. in Canada and I said well he asked me if I was interested in the job, and I said, sure, I'll give it a shot.
1: Does the Central School have, uh, uh, they have performance spaces within yes. their, but they were go for pushing their students out out of those spaces? No, no, this was
0: like a master's program. I it's see. not; They'll they really have an official version of a master's program. This was just dealing with a whole new area. Uh-huh. Um, yes, they have theaters. Actually, one is old the old uh, black box is torn down, a new one's going up. Right. Um, uh, again, I didn't, my, men, my the way I thought lighting should be taught was much different than what the British system was. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get in. And then uh interesting enough, uh, I was reading at a trade magazine these amazing workshops that were happening in New York called the Broadway Lighting Master Classes. And Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower, Ken Billington, all these great Broadway designers were gonna be there, they give lectures, they talk to them. I figured what a great opportunity to bring back to my students their ideas, how they promote things. Mm-hmm. So I went to my boss and said, of course, it's a small school. And they said, how much? And said, we can't afford that. Well, I'm not, I'm kind of my grandmother. We don't usually take no for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) And so a week later, I came back and said, if you would pick up 50% of it, I'll pick up the other 50% of it. And the next thing I know, I was flying to New York and I was sitting in the long lost Mayflower Hotel, And this person walked in the room and turned out to be my future wife, who who is head of the lighting program at Carnegie Mellon University, one of the top programs in the country, if not the top program. And I'm only saying that because they both teach lighting in undergrad and graduate levels. Most of the other schools in the country only teach Undergrad or graduate. Mm-hmm. It's one of the other.
1: It was Cindy at uh, Carnegie Mellon when you met her.
0: Oh, no. She was, since she was head of the program, the, uh, the producer of the, the Broadway Lighting Master's class, uh, Sonny Sonnenfeld, uh, an icon in the industry of, 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 of he worked for Strand, he, all these companies, mm-hmm. um, he, he kept uh, prompting her to come because Peggy and Jules are alumni of Carnegie Mellon University. Yeah, and said, right. You gotta come down. You gotta, you know, help promote this. And the year she decided to come, was the year I showed up there, and so but she she was at Carnegie Mellon. Oh yeah, she's been yeah. a tenure professor for yeah. she's now upwards, I think, twenty six years.
1: Right, and and then uh, you guys uh, had a relationship that led to marriage, and yes. and uh, you moved so you moved to Pittsburgh yeah. where she was living at that time, and um, did you did you
0: uh, uh, teach at Carnegie Mellon? Well, interestingly enough, coming in again when dealing with uh, the U.S. immigration scenarios. I would have had to wait a year because they they feel that you know you're marrying an American you have to have this right. year type of thing right. so I didn't wait but fortunately uh, CMU realized that Cindy's workload was just all encompassed uh, just overwhelming yeah and true. they hired me as adjunct yeah well funny thing is adjunct at Carnegie Mellon part-time does not exist <laughs> you're you're working full-time <laughs> but again I love working with students I have the best time working with students and what really drew me to Sydney was her methodology was the fact that the students do everything. The actors in the first two years, they don't really, at that time, didn't perform in everything. Uh, They may have had some minor roles, but they were the people who hung lights, scene painted, worked in the props department, worked in the costume department. I said, wow, this is such a great all for the performers to learn all of Mm -hmm. this. So I was teaching actors how to hang lights, directors how about lighting design. So I was there for about four and a half years five when, years when was this yeah. um, 1997 to because we we're married in 1996 It took a little time for the, the dealing with terms so I think either the fall of 1996 or this uh, the fall of 1997 for five years for
1: five years yeah so about the time you started working with us mm-hmm, as well yeah mm-hmm, correct so I'm curious um, how, how did the students uh, take to that Carnegie Mellon is possibly the number one uh, technology school in America uh, for the arts. I mean, I think mm-hmm. MIT is probably uh, you know, up there in, in terms of uh, sciences, but, but in terms of the, the arts and technology, uh, CMU would be at the very top of the ladder. And so I, I wonder, do, do the students who go there resist uh, the kind of um, broad education that you're advocating for? No.
0: Nope. Actually, and again, just look at the lighting as in the lighting program. A lighting design student not only does theatrical lighting and also Emmying shows, hanging shows, they also learn to program on all the state of the art consoles that are out there, the moving lights, so they can do event lighting. Um, uh, so, grand MAs, whole hogs, um, virtuosos. And of course, all the ETC stuff and any other uh, design They also learn about architectural lighting design. Mm -hmm. A lot of lighting designers from theatre backgrounds have moved into the architectural lighting world because they think outside the box. Mm -hmm. It is not like so fixed and rigid there because most architects in programs get maybe a week of actual lighting training in a four-year or five-year program. So you
1: didn't get students saying, I'm an actor, why do I need to know this?
0: No, no, that's they didn't, not whatsoever, no. Interesting,
1: very interesting. Yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. Um, and then, uh, so you b- began to work across the United States. I know you've done a lot of work with the... Uh, Irish and classical theater mm-hmm. in, in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, you've done a lot of work here. Tell me about some of the other stuff you've done. Uh, a theater. theater. Well, actually,
0: Central Schools of Speech and Drama brought me back to do um, uh, two uh, four show, two shows. Mm-hmm. So I went back in there and designed uh, because their methodology, uh, contrary to CMU's, was they like to have professionals with the students shadowing them, mm-hmm. not so much them doing the design, learning it that way. Me, mm-hmm. I'm on the other end. I want my students to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. They have to know how what motivates the play. What's the mood, the atmosphere? What what are you creating? Um, why are you creating it? And the other half of the design is lighting. Is not just a vision. It also you have to know the technology because without the te- it's like a painter not knowing his br- their brushes mm-hmm. and paints how to get a specific color to on that canvas mm-hmm. and with what kind of paintbrush. So the control consoles, the lighting instruments, the colors, everything, all the accessories. Are All our tools, which then helps us work into creating the world we want to show. And we've now, tra- and end, that's what's translated into our architectural. Every one of our architectural projects has a story. It's not just, oh, let's have fun lights mm-hmm. bouncing around and having a grand time yeah. on the building or something. Right. I mean, the Gulf Tower, literally at night, tells you the weather. So it's tied in, to a weather sensor. So you think
1: of yourself as a storyteller. Yes, uh, yeah. and a painter, but mm-hmm. I paint with light. Mm-hmm but you have to know uh, for instance the color of wheel you know you have to know the the whole the, spectrum of light yeah that's interesting that's very interesting chris what did you do with burning coal first do you remember i've been trying oh to gosh. think as i said her <laughs> trying to think i'd have to look at my cv first time we, we <laughs> yeah. heard you. and
0: actually it was interesting because i had when i first moved to pittsburgh i contacted serena Eberhardt.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Because uh, we had actually worked in at the Stephenville Festival in Newfoundland, Canada. Yeah. So I came here and said, well, hey, I'll give Serena a call, see what she's up to, and maybe she's got something going. And that she's the first person to say, go talk to Jerry. I Bird remember that
1: there. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so it was through
0: Serena yeah. that this whole transition moved into this. And yeah. I said, "I what I like best about this country, company, country, company, uh, um, is I like the choices of shows. It's not always... Um, Just the -the run-of-the-mill stuff, and a lot of theater companies. And I think one of the best ones I had fun was, was the uh, Henry IV on trapeze. Uh That Uh was truly an amazing experiment, and it worked out so beautifully. And and again, and like the Royale just last year. I mean, that in itself was great too.
1: Right. Um, And uh, when you uh, worked with Burning Coal originally, we didn't have a a venue, you know, so you were going into a new space each time. And so to circle back around to that idea of site-specific design, I imagine having developed those muscles, you were uh, more able to to deal with some Mm -hmm. of the spaces we threw at you. Yeah,
0: I mean, um, uh, Opera Theater of Pittsburgh, um, when they didn't have the money to do it at one of the union houses, one of their operas, they went to a lot of smaller spaces mm-hmm. uh, where we would, the whole show was basically old opera drops. And mm-hmm. how to make an opera dro- old opera drop look good is not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, but again, part of the trick is learning the space and knowing what its capabilities are. Right. Uh, if the, if you, And you work with, it. and I'm a big believer, students in any school, anywhere in the country, if you're in a program, you're, I think the professors who are teaching you should say, okay, here's a show, you've got 40 lights, make it work. Mm-hmm. If you can make it with that kind of thing, work, you can make it with a, a kit of three, 400 lights, moving lights, all the other fun toys that are existing out there. That's easy. Granted, it takes more time, but it's yeah. a challenge when you have minimal
1: I went to see a a little production uh, down on Bank Street in Manhattan once when I was living in New York, and it was a series of 20-minute scenes uh, that was part of a fundraiser for HB Studios, Mm -hmm. uh, Huda Studios. And um, the uh, lighting for the set uh, that I was looking at before the show began was just spectacular. It was just... So beautiful and interesting and I looked up at the grid and there were six lights on and I thought my God ha- who lit this and I looked in the program and it said lighting by Jennifer Tipton. <laughs> so like, apparently she lives down there in the, the East Village and and it told me a lot about what uh, what a lighting designer can do with a very little bit of inventory. Yeah.
0: It all again it's the play the play is your first source that's what you're gonna get your inspiration from or as I said like the the, the the bridge that joins the School of uh, Purnell Center for the Arts and the Computer Science Center, uh, the Randy Pausch Memorial Bridge. It's got basically LEDs um, uh, in, sandwiched between two um, uh, 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 aluminum panels. Well, every lighting look in there all deals with Randy's last lecture book, his favorite colors, stuff he, his kids' favorite colors, things he, when he was growing up, he, he only looked at black and white. and so. We did an elevator look where it went from white to dark, white to dark, going up and de- up the the, the, uh-huh. the length of the bridge. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just a wall about four feet high, but everything, every look, has tied into that thing. So
1: you were making physical or making manifest a uh, an idea. Idea through light, yeah. Yeah. and again.
0: That's why collaboration is the biggest thing.
1: So let's go back to that comment you just made, which I love. You said the first uh, source is the play. Tell me about that, Chris. What What are the steps that you take if I call you up and say I want you to light the weir here at Burning Coal, mm-hmm. which you're doing for us right now? What What are the steps that you go through um, in order to prepare to do that?
0: Okay. Well, the weir. Again, nice thing about the weir. It's It's a simple contained area. Mm -hmm. So it's a pub. And I have been many pubs, whether it's been Ireland, England, Scotland, and of course North America. So you
1: did a lot of research. A lot of research
0: in the pubs. (laughs) Um, But it's because of that background, I already had a sense in my mind of pub looks. Yeah. They vary exponentially. And then, but that is research. Uh, yeah, see, that's research. Seriously. Oh, yeah. research is big. Yeah. I mean, even for the architecture, the amount of time I spend researching technologies yeah. and ways of doing things. I said, my wife keeps telling me, Cindy, and Cindy's also my wife, keeps telling me, get out of the basement in the office, <laughs> <laughs> find some light. And get, yeah. Yeah. No pun intended. Okay, so the steps yeah. in the process. process. Okay, steps in the process. Okay, once I've um, got the idea of the setting. Okay, look out. I also then do a, good, a little bit of research on the actual author, of the playwright himself. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on what where his head was at, thinking about this. Um, you know, um, uh, how many other? I mean, and see maybe some pictures of other productions that was done. Mm-hmm. What uh, did you find out about the author that
1: was useful to you? <sighs> Connor God. McPherson.
0: That's a tough one right now because right now my brain doesn't remember everything I researched. You about did a lot of research on him. But the bottom line is, I've always had a love for the Celtic area because um, uh, my grandmother was a Lindsay so Scotland is in there. Already had visited Ireland. I mean, fell in love with Ireland. Uh-huh. So getting that feel and reading the play itself, it infused all of that Celtic background that I already knew about, about. Uh, in my own mind. And I, again, I related that to whatever things I read about Connor and his background.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was a drinker.
1: He was a oh, serious drinker. drinker. Yeah. And when this play came out, he was 26 years old and, and was still... Uh, a fairly you know what we would call a practicing alcoholic alcoholic. yeah I think it was not until his 30s that he gave it up uh, but the one thing was
0: also I find it again a little bit is the fact that he really does his dialogue fits the client the clientele that he's working Uh on I mean when you listen to the dialogue in this play I feel like I'm sitting in an Irish bar somewhere getting the whole overhearing, of over, over overhearing going, yeah. or going whoa that's a bit ripe. Okay, <laughs> that's so right so you
1: it. read the play you do some research, research. you look at the yeah. authors and background. then okay
0: then my next step is talking with the director uh-huh. uh, or getting you know feedback um, I again this show being a much more contained thing I felt that it wasn't going to be that complex uh, a thing other than if you want really something about the stuff we talked about um, subtle movements of cues shifting and me talking about kind of uh, deal with the stories that were being told and making pull them out just a little bit and then pull them back into the mm-hmm. the public so that the audience would draw their focus or as I said somebody's talking a lot one character and the other where the, the stories being told may be happening on the other side of the stage how everybody's going to be focused there while I'm IQ for the other for the storyteller is coming up and all of a sudden they'll go oh where'd that come from mm-hmm. they don't notice it yeah so, so
1: you want your lighting to, to be impactful but not necessarily noticeable.
0: I want it to be noticed when I want it to be noticed. Right. So, if the if we got a person up there blustering away about some story, just you know, uh, or taking the piss out of um, some other character on stage, and we know that I know that the next story is coming up, say, downstage left, I have timed it out with the controller that by the time he finishes. And he's starting, you know, they've not really paid much attention. They may have caught it out the cor- a little bit out of the corner, but they're still going to be focused on the key person talking. Mm-hmm. And then we've shifted them. And again, I wanted to also, I wanted the audience to feel that what they're seeing was something different. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the general ribbing and, and bantering that were going on through the the, the regular pub, mo- pub moments. Right. And so then once I've talked with the director and gotten that scenario. Then the next piece of the puzzle is collaborating with the uh, set designer, props, our props, and it just kind of goes in hand in hand, mm-hmm. costumes, if there's anything really outrageous gonna happen, uh, fortunately being Ireland in that time, it's it's nothing Fairly outrageous. Muted very muted Very muted, very earth toned, a lot of earth tones. Yeah. Um, so once I know all of that factor, all those factors, and then of course, if there's sound that of can utilize with a lighting cue that would or start a lighting cue or impact a lighting cue, uh, that would be the last aspect. So, putting all those, pieces to be, get all those pieces together, that's what the big word I use and the one word I use all the time, and the one thing every lighting designer and every designer out there and every director and actor collaboration. Mm-hmm. You've got to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of information and you're going to walk in there as a lighting going, oh, I didn't know that was happening yeah
1: this doesn't fit or, or something yeah and then you have to uh, scramble to to, to adjust and adapt yeah. yeah or ask somebody else to scramble and see is...
0: also with lighting design we have the least amount of time in the theater right in any op- I've worked operas where I have I walk into the union house the hang has happened I have one day to focus I have maybe one day to cue and then everything is basically on stage and I'm doing over top of everything so, and then it opens on the Friday yeah. so within a week yeah
1: So Chris, uh, just a couple of other questions um, that has always interested me about about your work. Um, One is, uh, and this is something I think a lot of directors and designers uh, neglect, and that is the source of light in a room. Uh, And you seem to pay a great deal of attention to that. Like where is the light coming from? Uh Uh, good painters do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Well the finest painters, I mean if you look at all the fine painters like Monet, Rembrandt, all this, all of them. Vermeer painting, is a great know, example, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Light is very important, yeah. where the light comes from. Uh, and in a theater, so, I mean, I can't mimic exactly where the source is, because like I said in this show we have a chandelier. I can't radiate light up on, on 360 degrees, it just wouldn't make any sense. You have to still take a little bit of, of uh, poetic license with the sources, right. but I still try to say, so if there's light coming through a window and whatever color I've chosen for that light coming through the window, that helps radiate through the the, the room or the right. scene or whatever. Um, but again, I even though we are taking a little bit of uh, uh, theatrical license with the moments of the, the, the stories, I think it's acceptable because it's, I'm, I want to shift the audience over here, but I, it's so different than everything else. But yeah, I take, and again, that's applied to my architectural lighting. All of that, I have to know what the sources are doing, where they're going, and how, how are they gonna impact the set, the costumes, right. the actors. And the actors, Is the, again, I want the actors to look good. I want them to be visible. But the thing is also, if I want them not to be seen, or put them into a shadow or into an area, I don't want to take them because I don't want them to be any attention drawn to them at that moment, I said, "I can make a stage look the most wonderful thing you've ever seen on the planet, or I can, you know, I can kill it <laughs> mm-hmm. very easily."
1: Yeah, and that that has to do a lot with where the light is coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this show, for instance, there's a window in the down right uh, corner of the set, and and so the 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 trajectory of the moonlight that comes through that window is hitting on a certain part of the room mm-hmm. where it would n- normally fall, and that part of the room is looks different mm-hmm. than the rest of the room, and, and that's what would naturally be the case, but that's something one doesn't often see. Well, also,
0: I like people walking, because you, what you're getting, basically, is a, a projected image uh, onto a wall yeah. or a surface of some kind, i.e. like a window. So one, you're in a room, and again, in a room, and you're walking by a window, and it's got all the slats and the uh, leaded glass and all that fun stuff, Right. you're gonna see the shadows crossing you. And that's another thing, shadows are a big play. I mean, we want to contrast. Lighting designers want contrast. That's why we use different colors. Um, uh, like, you know, it might be a, st- a color for the front, the sides might be a little warmer, and the back might be a touch warmer. Mm-hmm. It just gives us a sense of contrast and depth. As if, and again for me, like, from behind the color I choose, usually means it's bounced off the walls and come back and it's a little warmer and richer because it's picking up whatever the walls color is and bringing it back to within the room.
1: And I I do know, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is I do know that, that of all the designers we work with and we do work with you a lot, Uh, but of all the designers we work with you use color more I think than any of them is that um, is that a Canadian thing is that something that CMU advocates uh, specifically or well
0: (laughs) go there (laughs) come on Um, go there well again there are some schools that teach lighting design that they deal with very pale palettes color temperatures um, where it's very pale blues pale lavender and to me that is limiting um, to me. When you look at the colored spectrum, going from red to blue, mm-hmm. you got every color known to man in between. Right. Why not use it? Right. Why not apply it? If it could, again, if it applies. Now, if the show says it's all got to be pale tints and pastels, great. Yeah. But not every show is different. There is no formula. Right. There is no one show that you're going to make the same choice every time mm-hmm. or alter it slightly, and you're still. Di- and what you're basically with the pale stuff is you're just doing variations on white light Mm -hmm. there's theater is about dramatic situations It's to make things right. i'm sorry if you did the whiz or you did cabaret in white light Mm -hmm. you'd have nobody there'd be all all the critic on the planet would be (laughs) coming saying excuse me a cabaret with just white light come on not going to happen
1: yeah yeah, uh, right. And as I sit s- here listening to you talk, I'm looking at the red light flashing on our microphone in front of us. So, uh, so there is color in the world. There is it? color,
0: and again, even if it's, yes, I mean, the the sun is producing the whole spectrum. We know, and yeah, we and and but theater is about taking things and making them again theatrical. Mm-hmm. We are trying to create a world, and we can't create Mother Nature in the in the theater. If we do, it just becomes white light.
1: Somebody said uh, recently uh, the purpose of a set is to make the audience want to live in that world and I think the lighting is a, is a major yeah. component. And that. again,
0: you, you amazing amount of people will accept a dark blue backlight as nighttime.
1: Yeah,
0: Because it's, it's dark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or coloring a shadow with blue. Mm-hmm. I like to color shadows. That's why I use dark backlights at yeah. times when it's appropriate. I like to color the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want them to be uh, just Black, black is the absence of light.
1: What do you want uh, going forward, uh, Chris? What What are your dreams and aspirations as you go into maybe the last decade or two of your working life? What do you What do you want? Decade?
0: Oh God, I feel so young. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Or two. Oh, I two I said. Okay. <laughs> well, interesting enough. I mean, I pick and choose my theater projects now out of interest. Mm-hmm. It has to be something I want to do. Um, and, uh, and our company is getting into more doing, uh, and it is actually has potential of a couple of projects coming up that is going to be light as art. So there's going to be a structure, but internally there's going to be light and it'll become a lit scenario. I mean, when I look at the Empire State Building and its lighting, mm. and what they've done with that, I said, I know the company, I know how you know, I know how much it costs, and I, in the end, we have clients who come and say, oh, we saw the Empire State Building, we want that! And I'm going, do you know how much that costs? <laughs> <laughs> and they go... But it's LED. No, LEDs are not cheap, yeah. and the, and yeah. but that's kind of the thing. But I'm I'm leaning a little more to the architectural world right now because it's new.
1: Yeah, and there's a, an opportunity to Im- impact the world when you're engaged in yeah. a new art form. Yeah. Uh, and
0: branding has become a big thing with buildings these days. Yeah. Is to brand a building or brand an interior.
1: Right. Right. Well, uh, you've done uh, great work for us over the years, and and we appreciate it, and we hope that uh, our audiences uh, won't notice uh, your lighting, uh, unless you intended for them to, uh, for the WEIR, which runs uh, November 29th through December 16th here at Burning Coal. Tickets are burningcoal.org or 919-834-4001. And if you come, you'll get a really good example of Chris's lighting. Thank you all. Have a good day. Thank you, Jerry. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Our production of Connor McPherson's The Weir will run from Thursday, November 29th through Sunday, December 16th. To purchase tickets or for more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.